Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our great guest is Joe Kletke, the founder of Case Study Buddy, and we're going to talk about case studies today. This episode is brought to you by Light Matter. Light Matter helps some of the world's fastest growing companies design and develop their software applications. Whether you don't yet need an in-house engineering team or you're busy growing the next unicorn and can't hire fast enough, there is an immense value in working with a group of experts like Light Matter. Check them out at lightmatter.com slash UI breakfast to learn more. Hi, Joel. Hey, how's it going? We're doing great. Thanks so much for finding the time. Really excited to learn more about this not so much covered aspect of any business. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. Tell us a bit more about your life story. What you did before you decided to focus on case studies a few years ago and what happened after that? Yeah, definitely. So I kind of grew up knowing more about what I didn't want to do than what I did. So I eventually landed in university. I did a business degree and I was trying to think, well, what do I want to do? I, I don't know. Business seems like it's applicable anywhere. I always loved to write, but I never saw a career in it. So I didn't think I could ever be like a novelist. I definitely didn't want to be a journalist. So I just kind of landed in business and thought, all right, this is an applicable degree. I'll find a use for it. So I originally majored in HR, which would have been a total disaster. Human resources and I would not <laughs> have got along at all. I did my degree in and I kind of just decided to major in entrepreneurship, which was like the black sheep, you know, of the, the university, like it was barely acknowledged, barely funded, but I met so many interesting people. And it was kind of then that I realized, hey, I can, I can kind of control, I can decide, I don't have to join a company, I can build one. And then I promptly joined a company. So I, I wound up going in house at a, a smaller agency at the time, they've since grown and I was doing SEO really enjoyed SEO, but knew I didn't want to do it forever. And while I was at the agency, that's where things started clicking in my mind in terms of, hey, there are a lot of companies that need help with writing, writing their websites, writing their emails, writing their landing pages. And so I started to do a little bit of that both inside the agency and on the side. So in 2013, I went out on my own focusing on first content. I was doing a lot of blogging and ebooking. Within a year, I kind of discovered conversion copywriting through Joanna Weeb, and that became my core focus. And I still, you know, that's a huge focus for me to this day in my own consulting. But a few years in, I got the opportunity to do a case study after being asked by someone that you just don't say no to. They're, they're the kind of person who's so connected and so influential that anything they ask you for, you just do because you know good things can come of it. So I did a case study for them. It was for, for a company called Pingboard that they were connected to. And in doing that case study, the light kind of switched on my head, like, here's a serious business opportunity for all sorts of reasons that I can get into if you're interested. But I thought I saw, here's, here's something I, I can build a business around. And so about three and a half years ago, just over three and a half years ago, I kicked off Case Study quietly, and we've been growing ever since. Tell us briefly about what kind of services you do and who's your target audience for those. 
Yeah, definitely. So we started out doing just written studies. So we take care of the process end to end. People don't really realize how much goes into doing a great case study. So there's a lot of admin work. So actually getting someone to buy in, to be willing to be featured, we help clients with that. Then you have to actually schedule and run a really great customer interview. So we take care of that as well. We'll schedule the call and then we'll interview the customer and capture that really interesting story. And then we'll take care of writing up the study. So putting together the story in a way that's compelling to read. And then now we also work on the design of the assets that come out of that. So whether that is a PDF that the sales team might send in emails, we've more recently started doing HTML pages. So actual landing pages or you know building live pages uh, into their, their site. That's kind of where we started with the written piece. And then also more recently, we've gotten into the video side of things. So video testimonials, capturing customer stories on camera. And then long term, where we're starting to focus more and more is helping clients actually put those stories to use. So building out ads to drive people to the study or building out the emails that are used in cold pitches and and so on. So we started with just one kind of core product. We expanded on the written front, moved into video, and now we're really trying to get into the strategy side of things too. That's really fascinating how you are still within the very narrow niche, but expanding your offering and growing your business there. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things where once you've started and once you've solved, you know, the problems of building a process for things once you start to see, okay here's another opportunity or here's another struggle. Like for example, that strategy piece is totally a product of realizing that we would create these assets that customers loved and were really excited about but then we wouldn't hear from them for a while. Like, well, they were so happy. Like, what happened? And we'd talk to them and they go, we loved what you did. We have no idea how to use it or, or get results with it. And so we've kind of realized for our own survival and, you know, not only that, but to continue growing our revenue, there's a huge opportunity to show people, hey, you don't just have to take this case study and plop it on one lonely section of your website. You can use it in dozens of different ways across your entire marketing funnel to get results. And to my knowledge, nobody else is doing a really great job of communicating that or helping people with that. So we want to be the team that does that. As someone who's interested in productized consulting and your service is essentially very much that, I'm curious about the early days of your business. Did you just kind of validate the idea yourself or maybe with a couple very trusted helpers or did you hire a team straight away? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. So I had learned the hard way to not just hire a team right away. So earlier on, before Case Study Buddy, I tried to launch like a productized blog offering and it was a disaster. (laughs) Okay, what didn't work? So, I mean... naively, you know, I think when you're working, when you're used to working on something a certain way, and when you're used to delivering at a certain standard, you falsely assume that everybody has the same standard and process as you do. It's like such a dumb mistake in retrospect. It sounds so obvious, but it's easy to miss. And so it all fell apart because I took on too many people too quickly. I assumed too many people would value things like deadlines or having consistent formatting. I mean, you quickly realize by doing that, hey, the way that I format a blog post is not at all the way somebody else does. So I just got so many different quality issues, formatting issues, small problems that escalated into big problems, and I shut it down. You know, I came out in the black at the end of the day, but I wasted so much time and energy on it. So with Case Study Buddy, I took those lessons and I knew 
okay, before I go bringing people on board, I need to really understand how does this come together? How do these work? You know, what is the process? Where does it fall apart? So for the first year of case study, buddy, it was just me, uh, mostly, you know, I brought in a, a partner, my partner, Jen, you know, halfway through, she's got skills in different areas in terms of sales and whatnot. But initially, I spent time doing these for clients. And, you know, I did it for Pingboard. And then I turned to my network and said, hey, this is something I'm exploring. Can I do this for you? I offered it at like a no brainer cost. And through doing that and through running the interviews and through writing the studies and through dealing with clients directly, I learned so many things that made the process stronger so that by the time I did bring people in, we'd already played whack-a-mole with most of you know the, the obvious problems that I knew we'd run into. And that way, when I kicked off and as we started to, to slowly scale things up, I wasn't dealing with you know massive issues. It became more an issue of refining things and tweaking things and making things more efficient versus just making them work in the first place. What came first, the the name Case Study Buddy and the brand, or did you do the thing first and then thought of a, such a fun brand to it? Yeah, I, I did the study first. So I, as I mentioned, the, the guy that I, I could never say no to, I did the case study for Pingboard under, under the business casual name. So under business casual copywriting. And then the minute that I realized it was, I kind of looked around and I saw, okay, number one, here's an asset that's way harder to do than people expect. Number two, here's an asset that virtually every B2B company needs. Number three, it's an asset that they'll pay a premium for because it's harder to do and because it's so valuable and multifaceted. And number four, I looked around and I could find almost nobody who'd specialized in the space. So there's a handful of freelancers, small timers. There's one woman, I believe her name's Casey, uh, who had like planted the flag and said, like, this is what I do. But that's one person. That's one consultant. The market wasn't even close to being like even explored, never mind like saturated. So it all happened pretty fast. I did the study, saw the opportunity. And with most of my businesses, I've kind of run with like the first name that's come to mind. So case study buddy just kind of popped in my head. And I thought, you know what? I like that. I bought the domain name. I, I spun up a site and, and just ran with it. So... Going back to the main topic from productized consulting to actually what you do, and hopefully our listeners can first understand the value of it and maybe get the core tutorial way to do it themselves. So what is the value of the case study to a business? So let's put it this way. There's, there's so many different values. Let's start with the big one is that businesses need content, right? They, they want to be able to rank for things. But not only that, they want to be able to show customers that they're trustworthy. They want to have something that points to the fact that they're credible. And what's fantastic about case studies is that they do three jobs. They inspire, they educate, and they sell all in one asset. So a case study tells an inspirational story of someone who is like your idea lead, had the same challenges they had, wanted to get the same outcome they did, debated going with your service, chose to go with your product or service, and then ultimately got the result that your leads want. And so it's these stories that they're simultaneously, they're inspiring to read, they're educational because they kind of lay out how that lead got that result, and then they sell because they share that result and they show that you're credible. So you can use case studies, unlike other assets, you can use them in so many ways. You can use them in your remarketing campaigns. You can use them in cold outreach. So Hipley did a study that showed that mentioning a prominent customer in your cold outreach tripled the number 
of positive responses to that cold outreach. That's pretty important. And if you can couple that with a case study, even more so. Uh, you can use them in for SEO to rank for things. You can use them for win-back emails. You can use them in your nurture sequences. You can use them so many different ways. So they're like massive bang for your buck in terms of value. But the other side of it is as markets get more competitive, as different industries get more saturated, your competitors can steal your design. They can steal your features. They can steal your copy, but they can never steal your success stories. They can never say, oh, well, well we did that for that company because no, they didn't do that. Only you own that content. Only you own that success story. And so it gives you this competitive edge in increasingly competitive markets to say, hey, you've got lots of alternatives, but here's something that uniquely positions us as the best one. So it's a perfect sales tool without actually being a salesy thing, which is great. Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of lowers people's defenses because it doesn't feel like a pitch. It feels like a story. And so they're not constantly scrutinizing, you know, oh, what am I, bill of rights am I being sold here? They just get to experience what it's like, you know, to, to work with you. And they get to see a glimpse of what's possible when they make the decision to choose you. When we talk about a classic, let's say, text case study, let's talk about practical details. What is the format that it lives in? Like, is it typically a separate page on the website? Do you usually recommend to publish it as a blog post? Or, And we'll talk about video case studies probably a little bit later today. Yeah. So there's first, let's start by saying that there's a, a few different ways to write a case study. And the, the way you format and display your case study is really going to depend on your use case and how you want to promote it and what you want it to do and how aware your audience is. So we have a couple different formats for different scenarios. Sometimes you've got leads that they just want the facts. So let's say the, the typical web browser, the you know visitor, they're not going to stop to read this really deep case study right off the bat. So if you're linking, say, straight to this really in-depth study, they might bounce, they might not consume the whole thing. So we have what we call a snapshot format, and it's essentially just the facts coupled with some customer testimonial. It's about one paragraph each for the problem solution results, one customer testimonial, you know, one quote for each of those sections. And it's really bite-sized. It's quick. You know, these top out at about 600 words. You can use those as kind of teaser pages on your site to then push to a download or you know the full story where all of the rich detail of how things came together might be. So you might have them on your site as like a static page linked in a resource section. You might also repurpose them into say like a Q&A style blog post. You might also repurpose them into these longer form assets that you say attach to a cold email. So how you structure it and where you put it depends on how you know the context of how aware is your user? What are they ready to commit to reading or to consume? There was some studies done by DocSend on different content assets. So they looked at over, I think, 30 million different content interactions. And what they found was that case studies dominated in terms of completion rate. So they had an 83% completion rate, which just absolutely obliterated every other type of content asset there is. They also looked at ideal length. So for those 
those of you listening who are like, well, how long should they be? It's a range, but they found that ideal case studies, the ones with the highest completion rates, fell somewhere in the vicinity of just two to five pages. So if you're going past five pages, that's quite long. But you know, somewhere in that range is typically how you want to present things so that it'll actually be absorbed and consumed. But what I want to caution people against is only using a case study in one use case or, or one scenario. If you've gone to all the hard work to get that, yeah, have it on your site. Have it as a static page. Repurpose it into a blog post. But don't stop there. There's there's other utility you can use it for. Well, let's have an overview of those. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of those things that I spoke to in the past. So if you've got, for example, PDFs, uh, if, you, if you take that same snapshot format, or if you go a more narrative road, so we also have what we call the narrative format. It reads more like a Forbes article. Those are popular with sales teams because they can attach them to emails and send them out. So having a static you know, page is great because you can measure the analytics and how people actually engage. You can run you know, uh, recorded user sessions and see which parts are most interesting to people. But PDFs can be really great, non-threatening resources as well. Uh, you can also repurpose these. I like so, how you're saying no threatening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because people are skeptical, right? People you're trying to sell to can also can, can be kind of skeptical. But yeah, I mean, you can have a blog post that's literally the case study in the traditional, you know, problem solution results type of format. You can also have it if you look at what conversion rate experts does, for example, they kind of weave together this storytelling aspect with a lot of the actual tangible in their solution sections, they really explore the practical elements of what they did. So they have these posts where they really blow out like what was the test? Why did they do that test? What did it look like? What did implementation look like? So if you run a business where the process of how you do things is really important or part of what differentiates you, you can have studies where they're kind of shorter in other sections, but really explore that solution section as well. As someone who runs a SaaS, I know how much admin works goes into getting in touch with the customer, making them schedule a call with you or whatsoever. So how do you approach this organization flow at Case Study Buddy? Yeah, so I'll give some practical tips for getting them to, to even get on a call too. Usually when we're working with clients, and this is always the challenge is the bigger the company, especially, I mean, if you're a small company, then whoever owns their relationship, so whoever is closest to that person or has the closest relationship with the person you're trying to uh, get involved, uh, they should be the one to make the ask. You don't necessarily want this to come out of the blue from someone new because it feels like, well, who is this person? Why are they asking me for favor? You know, it depends on who is, is closest to the customer who has that relationship. Who's it going to feel the warmest coming from? To make the ask, some simple tips. And there's a guide uh, that we put together. It's free. You can download it. That kind of outlines this in more detail. But to make the ask, there's a couple criteria that you want to be considering. The first is you want to give them a reason as to why you're asking them and why you're doing this now. Why are you collecting these stories in the first place? Give them a because. So so what's your motivation? The next is to keep it short. So when we're nervous about making an ask, and you see this all the time, the longer the email typically, the more nervous the person behind it was. So Oh, yes. Yeah, because I mean, you're explaining things away, right? Keep it short. Keep it direct. In that email, you need to tell them a few things. The first is you need to explain 
Well, as I just mentioned, why are you doing it, this in the first place? The second is, how long is it going to take for your customer? The, the first resistance they're going to feel is, oh, I don't have hours and hours to give you an interview and edit the thing. So kind of show them, explain to them, like, this is only going to take, you know, for, for us at Case Study Buddy, we've got our process nailed down so that at most it will take an hour of their time. But whatever realistically you're asking them for, spell that out, dispel that fear. The next thing is to make sure that you mention that they have full control. So the next reason people might say no is because they're thinking, oh, we don't want to expose our trade secrets or we don't want to look bad. We don't want to sound like, you know, to to use a terrible cliched term like the damsel in distress, like they don't want to look like they had to be saved. And so oftentimes just letting them know that, hey, you have full control. You're going to have the opportunity to see it before it goes live. Nothing. The the line I like to use that your listeners can steal is nothing will ever be published without your approval. And just by giving them that comfort, that can improve the odds that they'll say yes. And then the last thing I'll I'll say is, or, or two things. The last thing, last two things is one, give it a deadline. It's too easy easy to say no when it's just an open offer. So uh, something as simple as saying, we're hoping to have these published by X date. Can we count you in? That way they can't just kind of ignore your email or sit on their hands. I mean, yes, they can ignore your email, but if they want to be involved, it kind of gives them some onus to take part. And then the last thing, kind of a secret weapon we've realized is send some samples. So even if they're not yours. Find a beautifully designed example of what you want an end product to look like and send that across and say, this is what we're aiming for. If you have other stories, that's even better. You know, stories of your own because that shows them, hey, other customers have taken the leap and it's gone really well for them. But show them beautifully designed examples of end products. We've really found that tends to get people excited about them, about it, get them to see that, hey, this is not an intimidating thing. I can take part and we're going to look good. That's a great strategy. At UserList, we have a like, nicely laid out and formatted customers page. So it, when we want to have another one added there, we just link them there and usually helps them say yes, because it's nicely formatted, has their business highlighted and so on. Totally. And we kind of omitted an important thing, but how do you figure out what customers to interview? I think that's pretty important, especially if you're a successful business and you have like wide range of people to select from. Yeah, definitely. So I one of the challenges too is too many people have a strategy for case studies of like happy accidents. So they just wait for someone to put up their hand and say, oh, feature me, which it's kind of the equivalent of like, it's like waiting for your true love to come crashing through your living room window and say, oh, let's get married. Like that's just, it's not a viable dating strategy. So you need a strategy for your case studies. You need a way to to get people, uh, the right people to share their stories. So you want to stop before you approach anybody and kind of think about, okay, as a company, what are our goals? Where are we trying to grow? Are you trying to grow into a certain industry? Are you trying to highlight a particular capability? Are you trying to attract a certain type of client or a certain tier of client that, you know, maybe you're going for more enterprise clients. Well, think about it this way. If you're going after more enterprise clients, but all of your case studies are teeny tiny mom and pop shops, there's a massive disconnect between what your stories say you can do and who you can do it for and and who you're trying to target. So you want to start by defining what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish with these studies? And then get a good handle on what type of company, what type of person do we need to speak to to help us tell a story that aligns with what our goal is. 
after that point, getting people to identify themselves, to stand out. Sometimes it's as easy as you have a great relationship and you already know and you simply approach them. That's great. But if you have this broad customer base, there's some simple things you can do. And we like to help clients use escalating commitment. So look for people who have already put up their hand once, they're more likely to put up their hand again. So practically, here's what that might look like. Let's say you're running NPS scores. Look for your nines and tens. Who in your nines and tens might fit the description of the type of client who has a story to tell or run a customer feedback survey and ask questions like what was going on in your world that sent you looking for a solution like ours? What have you been able to achieve? So you can ask kind of a subset, a handful of the types of questions you might already ask in, in, in a case study interview. And those who respond and give you some, some good detail, that's going to give you some insight because if they've already taken the time to respond to a survey and spill their guts, odds are good that if you approach them and say, hey, can we feature you? We'd like to have a more detailed account of this on the site. and We'd like to make you look really good. That's going to be much easier than just approaching somebody cold. Uh, you can also though, let's say that you've been operating for a while and you've got, if you're a software company, you've got reviews on say G2 Crowd or Cap, you know Captera or wherever they might be, you can approach those people who have already voluntarily of their own time gone and reviewed you positively and say, hey, we loved what you had to say. We'd, we'd love to explore this in a case study. So look for the people who are already putting up their hand or give the right people an opportunity to put up their hand that feels less intimidating than just saying, hey, can we have a case study? Because that's terrifying. But if you say, hey, we'd like to feature you. Hey, we, we loved your feedback. Now you've got kind of a natural inroads to get more people to take part. And once more, I want to put your attention, put the listener's attention to the fact that it's the same way that, for example, designers approach their portfolios, that like the rookie mistake is to feature everything you can. But in fact, you should be just focusing on a few things that mostly align with the type of work that you want to do. So that's exactly the same with case studies, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I tell clients the stories that you share will be the stories you attract. So if you're, you know, just to do, use a dumb example, but if you're a copywriter and you're sick to death of working with yoga instructors, don't put yoga instructor case studies in your portfolio because that's what you're going <laughs> to attract. So yeah, you know, only display work that you want more of essentially. What's your typical stat? Like what's your typical number? How many case studies per business do you usually get to generate? We know uh, for us, we know that if we can get someone to do one, they'll typically do at least three. Honestly, it kind of depends on the size of, of the company and how happy their customers are and how well their internal processes function. I mean, we have clients that sign on for essentially one a month rolling. We're always doing new stories for them. You know, we have companies who sign on to just do, you know, one every other month or one every quarter. So the companies that really take it seriously and they see results with them, they tend to just want more. It's kind of honestly an addicting process to start getting this kind of feedback from your customers. So we have people who come in and just want one and, and we've turned some of those into, you know, recurring retainers. But we know the typical lead for us is going to turn into at least three. Do you have any observations about like what business stage can benefit? the most? I mean, of course, answer is any business stage, but do you see mostly successful companies coming to you who have, you know, extra cash and time to spend on this? Or are there also very early ones who appreciate the value of uh, case studies for their business? Yeah, you kind of nailed it, actually. We see a lot of companies kind of at the mature stages of their businesses. So we do work with some market leaders who they know they have to continue to 
prove their credibility. They can't stay idle. They have to continue showing people why they're the market leader. So we, you know, our biggest contracts and clients are probably on that end of the spectrum. But some of our most successful, you know, some of our most exciting success stories uh, have come from individual consultants or just smaller companies who are just starting. And what we hear from them is they they get finally, they, they've worked so hard, they have this one great success story that they know if they can only tell it the right way, it's going to turn into more work. And so we have some customers who came to us and they, they've made it a priority. They're not necessarily rolling in cash. They're not market leaders. They're not flush with budget, but they know if I invest in telling this story, it's going to help me attract more. So we see a lot at the mature stage, but we see a fair number increasingly of companies kind of going, okay, well, we can either invest you know, thousands of dollars into blog content to build up this base there, and there's nothing wrong with that, or we can get these kind of assets we can be really deliberate about selling with. Uh, we're seeing more and more smaller companies make the choice to say, hey, we want this sort of evergreen sales asset first. And yeah, we get companies in the middle, but I, I would say for us, it's kind of either near to, to the mature side of things, or they're already seeing some success and they have stories to tell, or they've got that one great story that they want to turn into more. And, you know, the excuse is pretty often I don't have money for expensive services like yours, but I'm quite sure any business could generate their own great case study. It's just it would take the level of quality that you provide, probably take them a couple weeks anyways to generate the actual content and produce it and supply images and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's not a sales pitch, right? But I think people really underestimate how much time goes in. I kind of laid out, you know, you have to get buy-in, you have to run the interview, you have to, you know, get that interview transcribed and turn it into an asset people actually want to read. And then once you've done that, you've got to design it. So there, there are more steps. I think people generally think when you say case study or customer success or think, oh, problem, solution, results, no problem. Like I got this, it's going to be simple. But there's a lot more to it than, than people anticipate. That being said, I think Yes, you know, our service exists for a reason. Well, I'd love for everyone to hire us. I know that's not realistic for everyone. And so I think you can do a lot on your own. It doesn't have to be an onerous process, but go in with a plan. Take some of the tips that we've talked about. I mean, we haven't even touched on running a great interview, but take some of these plans and and if nothing else, just start being deliberate about opening personal channels of communication with customers, about talking to people, about seeking that feedback and opportunities to do this sort of thing will start to present themselves more because a lot of companies kind of pop their heads and go, oh, we'd love to have case studies, but they've done none of the work to kind of sow the seeds of you know, having conversations. So it's that much harder for them later on. So even if you're just getting going, even if you're a smaller company, even if you're going to just do this process yourself, which is totally fine, start sowing the seeds today, start having these discussions, start surveying customers, start, you know, getting on the phone every so often with people to see what successes they have had, build an engine so that people tell you when they've had a win. But yeah, there is a lot of work that, that goes into it. You can absolutely do it yourself. It just helps so, so much to have some structure and plan and not just wing it. As you mentioned, we haven't yet touched a very important aspect as in running the actual interview with the customers you selected. And another one I'd love to cover is a little bit of your post-production process. So first, how do you run that conversation? Get in a call and what kind of questions you would ask? 
Yeah. So the biggest tip I can give is you want to think about these interviews in terms of your big goal is not to run through a list of questions. It's not to get someone to sing your praises. Your big giant priority is to turn the person you're interviewing into a storyteller. So you're interested in their experience. You're not interested in their opinion. You're interested in capturing what actually happened, not, you know, words of like, oh, you're so wonderful. So to do that, there's a very simple three-letter acronym that's really easy to remember. If you remember nothing else from from this podcast, I hope this sticks with you. B-D-A. Before, during, after. That's how you structure the call. That's how you structure your questions. So you want to ask questions about what was going on in their business before they decided to go with you. What happened after they chose to go with you? What did that experience look like? What surprised them? What were they impressed by? What weren't they impressed by? That's just as helpful for you to understand. And then after. So after the delivery or after working with you for a while, what's changed? And so some simple tips too, just to be thinking about as you come up with your questions and as you think of, well, what should I be asking? Always open-ended questions, not yes, no. So you don't want to ask them, was it a good experience? Yes. That's not a very helpful thing to put in case study. So you want to leave things open. Uh, You want to ask questions that again, prompt them to tell a story. So instead of asking them, you know, what was your challenge? which no one wants to feel like they had a challenge, phrasing the question like, what was going on in your business that sent you looking for a solution like ours? That one question can get them sharing, well, we were dealing with this and it was a challenge because of this. Don't forget to press into the emotional and human side of things too. Ask questions like, what did that feel like? What made that so challenging? What made that so difficult? The art of the interview is asking good follow-up questions and then honestly shutting up and letting them answer them. Uh, that's one of the things I learned the hard way, you know, running running things on my own at first was I was an over-talker. So I would ask a question and then I would, there'd be an awkward silence and I'd start filling in the blanks for them instead of giving them the time and space to think about. It's really hard to do, to not do that. So that before, during, after framework can be really helpful. And then the other tip I'll leave listeners with is for that after piece. Yes, the KPIs, the metrics, the percent increases, those are the sexy bit. You want to capture those definitely, but don't forget to ask them, what is that meant for you? What is the impact of that result actually being? That's where the real sexy story comes in is, yeah, okay, it's great you saw, for example, let's say an increase in traffic of 200%. What did that mean? What did that make possible? What did that make better? What has, how has that impacted your day-to-day life? So structure things that way. Ask questions that turn your lead into someone who's telling a story as opposed to just robotically responding to sort of this battery of, of questions. And what did that mean helps you to drive attention from the actual facts towards the value, which is why everybody's interested in your product. Exactly. You know, people might come for the big metric. They might start reading the study because it said, oh, they, they saw X percent increase or whatever. But there's this whole human component to stories. There's this these specific wins, these things we don't know we're looking for, but we want when we see them. And so to give you a tangible example, we did an interview with a client where they said, well, you know, it's minimized the amount of, you know, admin time by some like 50%. We asked, well, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? They said, well, our secretary doesn't have to chase people people around the office anymore to get 
X, Y, Z or to, to do payroll. And that type of specific example, it's something that lives in the back of the minds of those ideal leads of that company is that's their reality. What it looks like today, like, yeah, everyone's going to say, oh, we got 50% more efficient. We want to be more efficient. But when you can speak specifically in a study and say things like, now the secretary doesn't have to chase project managers around anymore, <laughs> that, it's, it's a completely different layer of detail that makes it that much more compelling. Let's talk a bit about the post-production. So you obviously transcribe those. And then how do you handle the actual copywriting process? How do you balance the amount of direct quotes with the amount of text that your copywriter writes themselves? Yeah, so it really depends on the format and the intent of the piece. So for example, with the snapshots, we know our goal, our stated goal for the piece is to communicate just the information a lead needs to take action as quickly as possible. And so we'll structure those where there's a strict line between we have kind of a paragraph explaining, you know, a short paragraph explaining what the challenge or problem was, and we bring the hero into it. And then we'll separate, you know, after that, we'll have a quote from the client that helps tell that story. So we'll let in all of our formats, we let the customer expand on what was just said. So we might say in, in our writing, we might in our paragraph say, you know, uh, Joe Schmo was really struggling uh, to collect on outstanding payments. It was causing his agency, you know, to, to fall into, have to rely on their line of credit and creating huge problems for administration. We might say something like that. And then the client quote following up might, you know, expand on that. So it might say, you know, my life was a nightmare and we were wasting hours every week sending follow-up emails. No matter what we did, we couldn't seem to get people to pay on time. And that might be it. So for, for a short study, it might just be something as simple as that. When we're dealing with a more narrative study, a situation where we want to communicate a real depth of information and we want to go really detailed into the process, then we'll kind of interweave the two. So we use an approach that others can mimic or steal called call and response. So it's similar to why I just describe, but our copywriters will introduce an idea. They'll say something like, for Joe, this was a really challenging struggle. And then immediately followed up by a quote where he expands on what that struggle looked like. And then the writer will chime back in and say, so he did this, da, 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 da. And so those are much longer. So for a typical snapshot, like I said, we aim for about 600 words. That's kind of a balance. Like it's often very close to 50-50 between customer quote and actual expose like narrative or sometimes maybe 64. With the narrative, it's super, in most cases, heavily customer narrative driven, which is why you need such a good interview to do those. So oftentimes in those longer narrative formats, unless we're really blowing out the solution using things like bullet points, or we're really explaining like how something was done, which the client can't really you know, explain because that process is internal to the company, oftentimes it tilts much more heavily towards the customer you know, quotes. They're actually telling the story and we're just kind of filling in the little gaps in between. So the best way to get a, a genuine picture of that, none of our samples on our site are gated. You can go to our sample section. We have samples labeled as snapshot. We have samples labeled as narrative. And you can see real examples of how we put these together. Yeah. One of the questions I had prepared for you was, uh, could you maybe highlight let's say two, one of the most spectacular case studies from your company experience? Yeah, I mean, some of them, unfortunately, we can't share, but we've got dozens of samples up on the site. So uh, one of the ones that's newer up there is from a, a company called Tiny. So Tiny helped RGP. The study is called How Tiny Helped RGP Reduce Support Conversations and Increase Customer Satisfaction. I like that one because we had to, it, it was 
you know, a balance of we didn't have like a, a huge hero metric, but we had to address what's the underlying need, what's the pain, how do we make that compelling? Uh, so I really like that story. Another one that I'm quite proud of is we did a study for a company called Brain Traffic, and it's a great example of how you can navigate a study when the client won't share their name. So how do you deal with an anonymized study? How do you make it compelling? How do you oh, make great. it believable? Yeah. So that one's on our site as well. So those are those are two that I'm I'm pretty proud of my team and and how they brought that together. Those are two that that would stand out for me. Are there any companies in our software fellow community who are just killing it with their case studies or that you are inspired to? Yeah. So in the software world, I mean, I have to mention one of our clients because I mean, Pingboard. So um, Pingboard from day one came to us and they just they've been committed to it. Uh, they've done a really good job of it, you know, with us together. Veronis is another company. They're a market leader. We do some work with them as well. But even before we came on the scene, like they have internal documents with dozens. They've been deliberate about collecting customer successes for years and years and years. I think I have to, there was someone I was just looking at that they're not a client, but they're doing a really uh, great job of it. I'm trying to think of, it might be, it might be Buffer. I'm not totally sure. Video Testimonials Insight Squared has done a really great job of those. And they've got some really good polished end products there. They're a great SaaS. They're, they're a great solution. They're a SaaS that helps other SaaS. <laughs> and so they've got a great client list. They've got some great videos, I would say. And then in terms of like who we aspire to be like, it's not SaaS, but there's a company, they're in the legal space. And of course, as soon as I want to talk about it, uh, Crisp, Crisp Video, they do videos for lawyers. They do video testimonials only for lawyers. And the reason I'm mentioning them on this conversation is because I think everyone listening to this, and this sounds ridiculous, needs to go watch their videos, videos about lawyer case studies. Now, why? Why are they so compelling? Because you would expect a, a lawyer case study. If you've seen like the billboards around like Vegas, or if you've seen the terrible TV advertisements, lawyers use where it's like, have you been injured in a car accident called Johnson & Johnson? Like they're awful, right? But Crisp takes a totally different tack. They have these incredibly powerful, incredibly human, emotional, compelling stories that just, they're hard to stop watching. And they do such a good job of breathing life into stories that we've heard lawyers try to tell before, but they just can't. And so we definitely aspired it to reach their level of storytelling because they just do it so incredibly well. We are definitely running out of time, but let's spend another few minutes talking about video case studies, video testimonials. And I know you you're probably doing on the like going on the high end of spectrum with I bet very professional video quality, maybe operator flying in or something like that. But for our fellow people who cannot afford an operator flying into their <laughs> customers, <laughs> what do you think is the the most uh, you know quick and affordable, or maybe say quick and dirty, but that's not a good word, solution? Um, <laughs> the format, like three minutes, five minutes, twenty minutes. What's the most watchable? Like, is it heavily edited, or how do you approach it? 
So you have to think about in terms like this, because video, the biggest cost of video, there's two huge cost centers. One is the actual videographer day of doing the shoot. The longer the shoot, the more complex the shoot, the more expensive that's going to be. The other is travel. Travel is a huge cost. So just like you said, like our goal as a company is to not have to fly an operator in. So we found some creative ways around that that we're working on and we're trying to polish up. But for companies who are trying to do video and do video well. Are you sending in a camera? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, flying in, a, flying in a drone. So two things to remember is that travel is expensive. Videographers are worth their weight in gold when because they're important. But editing, editing is the piece that brings everything together. A great editor can save a mediocre video. But let's say we want some. Let's say we want cost-effective options. Uh, the first is to contract a local videographer who can also edit. So you'll save on travel costs. They're going to have to. You want someone who's going to be a good interviewer and be professional. So if you're at the point where you want to send somebody on location, find someone who can both film and edit from your local city to take care of that job. There's also the option for companies who are just really starting and fledgling. I mean, what's wonderful about technology today is you can fire up zoom video you can use a tool like zencaster to capture the audio from both sides and you can get you know you can interview that person yourself and do a talking head video uh, there's a, a service called results story and that is what they specialize in doing is helping customers who maybe don't have you know five thousand dollars for a video but want to have you know kind of a talking head testimonial video and so for results story they will facilitate those interactions they'll take care of just like we do on the on our side of things for written studies they'll take care of scheduling the interview running the call and the editing. And that editing piece, again, I want to restate, that's the part that's out of reach for the average person is doing a great job of editing. You can film, you can interview in a pinch if, if that's what you have to do. But editing is tough. So you want to invest. If you're going to invest anywhere, invest there. So that's kind of a low cost option for people to consider. So when money's tight, go local or go kind of the talking head zoom route and use a tool to capture audio from from both sides. And if you can find the right one, uh, video from from both sides as well. Thank you so much for sharing your advice. I couldn't imagine that there would be so much on the topic to cover today. <laughs> I think it could be easily another hour or something. Where can people find your company and you personally online? Yeah. So casestudybuddy.com is uh, where you can find us and you can check out those samples. You can read our blog. You can uh, steal parts of our process if you so choose. <laughs> but, you know, I laugh. But honestly, I'm all about trying to help people just tell stories better. I know there's companies we're fit for, there's companies we're not, and, and that's okay. Uh, there's a guide that I'd love to share with your audience. As I, I alluded to it earlier, it's free. Uh, that URL for that is just hello.casestudybuddy.com slash guide. And it covers a lot of what we talked today. It covers a lot of how to structure an interview and types of things to ask and how to do outreach. And so you can check that out and use that as a resource. If you want to connect with me personally, the best two places to do it are Twitter and LinkedIn. So at Joel Kletke, K-L-E-T-T-K-E, and then just search Joel Kletke on LinkedIn. I'm the only one on the planet, to my knowledge. So, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to uh, try to be helpful where I can and hear about the great stuff you're doing too. You mentioned you have a special offer for people who decide to take advantage of your services after this uh, episode. 
So for those who listen, if you email us uh, and you mention this podcast, we will give you the bulk. Sorry, we, we have a loyalty discount that we give to clients who typically to get it, you have to order five or more. And, and so if you mention this podcast, we'll give you the loyalty discount on your first study as a way of kind of trying us out. That can save you anywhere from, you know, a hundred bucks to 600 or more, depending on the formats that you choose to work with us on. So there is some cost savings there. If you're looking to dip your toe in the water or you just want someone to take care of this stuff for you you can drop us a line wonderful well thank you so much again for sharing your wisdom and the insights and i hope your business only grows from there thanks so much thank you for having me and for giving me the chance to share i love hearing people say i had no idea there was so much to cover that just it brings me so much joy thanks again and have a great day